In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me. As we begin this time of prayer, as always, placing our attention in the tabernacle, because he's really there. And the tabernacle that holds the true presence of Jesus is a reminder that this true presence can only happen when he dies on the cross at Mass. The topic of prayer, lest I lull people to sleep, get the top, I want you to be awake for the topic anyway. It's love for the cross. I know it's not Lent, but yesterday we celebrated, the church celebrated the exaltation of the Holy Cross. And if you were in a center of Opus Dei, you would notice that that black wooden cross without a body on it would be decorated with red roses. If it's too hard to buy red roses, they would be decorated by red carnations. And the reason for that is that a rose has thorns. And if you grab the stem, you'll know it's a rose bush even if you're blind, because thorns pierce skin and cause pain. Jesus was crowned with thorns. And the flower, the actual rose, is traditionally a symbol of Mary, but it's a symbol of Christ. It's a symbol of the resurrection, because a flower is inherently beautiful. And a plant culminates in giving off beautiful flowers. And so the reason for decorating the cross with roses is to remind us that becoming Christ is the fruit of the cross. We could use an aspiration of St. Jose Maria, heart on the cross, Lord heart on the cross. I don't know about you, but almost everything in the gospel, nothing's easy, everything's a superlative. How much are we supposed to pray always? To be a follower, we need to humble ourselves. We get it. We understand that we need to be detached from material things and inordinate ambitions. We understand that. We know our finest hours when we serve. We know all that. We know that the gospel gets the best out of us. But I think the collective hard part, people have mentioned that to me. I'm not good at the cross. I'm not, I don't like suffering. And I would respond, well, if you really did like suffering, you would require serious psychological attention if you really liked suffering. Whoopee, I just got a flat tire and I'm going to miss my class. Wonderful. Thank God I have a splitting headache. That's why I'm in a good mood. It's, my head is killing me. It's just wonderful. I love the cross. Please don't wash your hands when you shake hands with me because I could tell you have the flu and I want to get it as well. 
so I could bear a cross. That's a little bit, that's insanity. So it's the hardest part of the doctrine Jesus taught that I need to deny myself and pick up his cross. Now, we've heard this so many times, but when the first ones heard this, they were put on edge because the cross was a familiar way of being executed. And in fact, that form of execution was so traumatic that even in the Catholic Church, in the Christian Church of the first few centuries, they would never have as an artifact a cross with a body on it until the 6th century. So if you went back in time, you would find crosses, no doubt about it, but no body on it. Why? Because it was a horrendous way of dying. It was the worst form of execution, reserved for the most heinous criminals, and a terrible way to die. And so what does Jesus do? He says, well, to be my follower, you've got to pick up that cross. So that had a lot of emotional connotation when he'd say that. Now, thank God, this is not something we're familiar with. But in the Mideast, that has happened even in these modern times to Christians. Let's try to figure this out. I don't know if you've read this book on Thomas More. The title is On the Sadness of Christ. And what is it about? Well, it's... It's about the sadness of Christ. That's why it's titled The Sadness of Christ. But what's the genesis of that book? Well, it was the last book that saintly humanist Thomas More wrote. He wrote it in the Tower of London, where he was awaiting execution. He'd be beheaded because he wouldn't make an oath to the king against the pope. And all he needed was to reverse his desire not to swear allegiance to the king over the pope, and he would have been, his life would have been spared. But anyway, he hung in there, but he went into a deep sadness, Thomas More, because he was incredibly frightened over his imminent execution, which he had to wait a year. He was frightened, and he was saddened. He was separated from his family. His family was totally heartbroken. His daughter would come to try to dissuade him from refraining from the oath. And he started to beat on himself, as they say in modern parlance. Extremely well-read, one of the greatest academics of the Renaissance period. He said, how different I am from the very early Christians who would sing psalms before their execution, and how they willingly embraced their martyrdom. Tomorrow, St. Saint Cornelius and St. Cyprian died in the third century. He was looking at those kinds of people. For example, just to see where Thomas More was coming from. No need to be so melodramatic before martyrdom, but the, the, second, the first bishop of Antioch was Peter, the second was St. Ignatius. He's mentioned in the Eucharistic prayer in list two, the second list of saints. And he was saying that he, he was really excited about our Lord finding him ground down like fine wheat amid the jaws of the wild beasts 
that would maul him in the Roman Colosseum. I don't know about you, I haven't reached that level yet. But he, and he really, that's what he looked forward to. And that's, that's how he died. It was a big festival and he was a big shot. And, that's, and he was mauled by hungry lions. And so Thomas was reflecting on these heroic feats of the early Christian martyrs, many lay women, as we find in the second, in the second list of saints in the Eucharistic prayer, popes, and every pope was a martyr for the first, more or less, 300 years. So ego is not a temptation to become a pope in the early church, considering the outcome. And so Thomas said, well, that's because I've been selfish. That's because I didn't develop virtue. He said, that's because I didn't really struggle to pray well. That's because I allowed distractions in my spiritual life. And then he got even more down. And then he started to beg our Lord, I don't want to renege on my faith. I pray for my salvation. He was really afraid that he would not go through with it. And then a very important light went on. And given my line of work, a hundred out of a hundred times it works. Even if I were a non-believer, if I were to be intellectually honest, at least my observation, a hundred times out of a hundred, it's worked. A light went on, and he started to look at our Lord. And act one of perfect God and perfect man was an agony, was intense fear and anxiety, call it whatever you want, sadness, depression. And that's the first sorrowful mystery. That's act one of the passion. And he said, well, and the, this is a light that Christ was sad. Christ was anxious. And Thomas was saying, yes, I am flawed. Yes, I am sinful. But our role model began his passion sad. I've noticed a hundred times out of a hundred that that sadness, that fear, that anxiety, little by little ebbs away. And it's replaced by a radical deepening of intimacy with Christ. Not that we want to will suffering on anybody so that they deepen their spiritual life with Christ. I'm just saying as an observer, you know, I anoint people. I see people before they die. I, I visit sick people, terminally ill people. When doctors can't, don't work anymore and medicines don't work anymore, they call the priest. Maybe the holy oils will work. I'm exaggerating. I would say you could divide the life of Christ in three parts. His infancy, where we just adore and witness the emergence of the Son of God into our world, surrounded by spiritual all-stars like Joseph and John the Baptist and Mary. Part two is the longest. It's vignettes of sinful people repenting and becoming holy. Thirdly, the third part, definitely a defined third part. It's a culmination of the gospel, and that's the suffering of the man-God. And there is instruction. It's not total silence of the infancy narratives, but nor does it have the preaching of the public life. It has some instruction. And the first instruction of part three of the gospel is 
watch and pray. It doesn't begin with pray. It begins with watch and pray. And what are you saying, Lord? Watch and pray. Watch what? Watch the passion. Watch the Son of God suffer so that you not enter into temptation. Watch and pray. Pray about what? Pray for strength. Meditate on the passion. And Jesus promises us, and I could say by observation, it really does work. So you not enter into temptation. What kind of temptation? In this case, it's not the temptation to steal. It's not the temptation to get violent, even though Peter got violent after that. But it wasn't that temptation he was talking about. It wasn't a temptation to be impure. It wasn't a temptation to lie. It was a temptation to stop believing in the cross. I don't mean in a speculative way, hey, the contents of the catechism or the contents of the gospels, you know, I'm having trouble with believing in the cross in a speculative way. I don't think that's at issue. It's the crosses that come my personal way. And there's a whole array of, of kinds of crosses. It's little failures, it's irritability, it's someone, it's frictions with somebody else, it's misunderstanding, it's emotional difficulties, it's anything. It's fatigue, it's uncertainty, it's all there. And the temptation is to throw it down, to reject it. And essentially that's what happened with Thomas More. He was, became afraid, he said, I, I'm not going to make it. I don't know if I can go through with this. And then he started to watch and pray. That was the light. He started to watch our Lord. We have to do this first with ourselves and with a little bit of prudence with others if you know, they open the door. This is sort of a generic anecdote. Bob complains about Bill, or Jill complains about Joan. There's a certain coldness with Bob. I mean, there's a distance, and I don't know what it is. The other day, I was hardly greeted, and I was called out for no good reason. And I find myself very resentful. Or Jill simply ignores Joan. It was her birthday, and everybody in the office wished her a happy birthday except for Jill, sending a message. And what's the reaction? Well, I'm resentful of this mistreatment or this omission or being snubbed or that person being rude to me. Well, there's a lot of ways to deal with this. Well, it's, you know, if we're going to suffer every time we're snubbed or humiliated or humbled, we're going to lose our peace quite often. But I don't know if that really cuts it. I've tried saying that to people, and it doesn't cut it. I've even said, you know, women are much better at being sensitive to the needs of others, and obviously I guess they, they could be sensitive to someone neglecting them. Someone had a birthday and she didn't receive a birthday greeting from a someone that she's always remembered her birthday. And I said, well, it's not worth getting worked up over that. It's just a birthday. And she said, you men are all alike. Basically selfish. So anyway, I was stopped in my tracks. And these just generic complaints of humiliations, and you have to do it right. And uh, well... When all is said and done, we got to see who got spit upon. He's the creator of the universe made man. We, you know, you're talking about being unfair. Well, look at who's on the cross and listen to his first words.
So his, 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 his witness and his teaching are high intensity in part three of the gospel. And we see that Peter committed himself. He said he would never, never be unfaithful. No matter what happened. He said, I, I'll go to prison with you. Even if these don't. And Jesus faces him and says, pray that you not enter into temptation. And then the last reprimand he received, can't you pray for an hour? Pray so you don't enter into temptation. And he did enter into temptation. The gospel, in a very cursory way, says, and Peter followed him from a distance. You can't follow Jesus closely without watching and praying. Because to use an idea of Pope Francis, he uses a phrase, spiritual Alzheimer. And I'd say when it comes to the, the cross and offering the cross, and Alzheimer sets in very quickly. We forget very quickly. As one talking about bearing humiliation, I was talking to a, not recently, a seminarian. And I don't know, something went wrong. And I said, well, whatever your name is, you have to factor in the cross. That's part of the drill. And he said, excuse me. That's not the right attitude, he told me. So I'm being corrected by a seminarian. He said, you use the word factor. I go, yeah, is that a bad word? No, but it's the wrong word. The cross is essential. And I'm close of not bearing the humiliation well and putting him in his place, but what can I say? He says, you don't factor this in, Father Peter. You, it's, it's, it's essential. You know, he could be his grandfather, but anyway, okay, thank you. But you know, he's right. It's essential. And maybe I could speak for you. Lord, I'm not good at this stuff. I'm, I'm afraid of pain. You know, when I get a flu shot, I, you know, I can't sleep for two days in anticipation of the flu shot. And I don't feel a thing because I pass out when I see the, 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 the injection. So it's kind of a natural anesthesia. And there are people like that. You talk about, you know, bleeding or, you know, a broken limb, and I've seen it. Boom, pass out. It's irrelevant. It's, there's no such thing as, well, you know, I'm tough or I'm not tough. It's not. We, first, we have to look at his passion. And this is what the saints did. The saints were not crazy, maybe madly in love, but not crazy. Why did they put their heart in the cross? Saint Jose Maria. I mean, he kind of encapsulates the attitude of many of the saints. He's in mental prayer like us right now. And it was kind of a unique day. And he started to complain to our Lord. What's the matter? Is there something between you and me? He was saying in his prayer. This is a paraphrase. You haven't, get, you haven't blessed me with the cross today. Now, I don't know if that's what you say in your prayer. But maybe when we hear something like that, we're even more intimidated. Because don't say it if you don't mean it. He meant it. Why did he mean it? Did he really want a migraine? Was he disappointed because he didn't get the flu? Was he disappointed because he wasn't hit with a sorrow? Was he disappointed because he didn't get a flat tire? No, he realized that this is a medium to connect with our Lord. And if we do it right, it's not my cross, it's his. And no pun intended, he does the heavy lifting. Here's what he says. 
If you really want your heart to respond in a general, genuine way, I would recommend you to enter one of the wounds of our Lord. In this way, you will get to know him closely, you will cleave to him, you will feel his heart beating, and you will follow him in everything that he asks of you. So what is he saying? Well, he's, look at the passion. Kiss those wounds. Hide in those wounds. Look at the cross. Thomas Aquinas, Francis of Assisi, all the saints. But they said, this is our Lord's greatest sermon, his passion on the cross. Because in that passion, there's the template. They didn't use that word because computers wouldn't be around for another 800 year, 900 years. But every template of pain, of suffering, you're lonely, look at his loneliness. Share his loneliness. I'm down. Share his downness. I'm embarrassed. Being stripped and hung on the cross like that, he was just fraught with shame. I feel rejected. No need for commentary. I'm insulted. I'm humiliated. Look at sorrowful mystery number three. I'm exhausted. Who fell three times? I'm sorrowful. Who wept in Gethsemane? I have a crisis of faith. Who said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken? St. Josemaria continues in Forge. The cross symbolizes the life of an apostle of Christ. It brings a strength and a truth that delight both soul and body, though sometimes it's hard and one can feel its weight. And anyway, we've got to bail out, even though I didn't get to another passage here. Just bear with me. The saints experience the following. Learn from me. Look at the passion. We went through that. Take my yoke, whether you're, we're offering work, whether we are whatever contradiction. Usually they're small. And Jesus absorbs it. That's why he could say this. This is very counterintuitive. But we've seen it. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And the saints experience that. Today, we commemorate Our Lady of Sorrows. Yesterday was the exaltation of the cross. And so the focal point is on the unique suffering of Mary, the prophecy of Simeon of having her heart pierced as Jesus had his heart pierced. Her heart was morally pierced. We ask her to pray for us and do what she did with John and the holy women. Hold their hand. Support them in in the cross. And like Mary, we ask Mary, help me believe in it, my cross, and help me love it, because the cross is the medium to encounter Christ. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help in putting them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Holy Mary, our hope, handmaid of the Lord.